All right, how are we? You doing good? This is it, boys and girls. This is, this is our last rodeo at the old Mountain Hill Schoolhouse. Uh, hey, if you are visiting, I'm not the voice of God right now. It's just really deep for some reason. There we go. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, my name is Brad, and um, I am uh, very privileged to be the pastor of this little group of pardoned rebels that we like to call Cross Point Church. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to work out of today. Uh, people have been asking me a bunch these past few weeks if I was going to be sad or sentimental about today. And I, I, the answer has up to this point been no until now. <laughs> and to just, if I could just sort of pause for a second and look at you guys and a couple of you are not sitting in the right spot. But, what's going on? Where, where? All right, I'll just have to adjust to that today. But um, uh, but uh, it has been such a great joy to be uh, here these past five years and to see what the Lord has done. Uh, I remember the first Sunday. It was April 17th. My wife's going to take a picture. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I got in a little trouble for making fun of her for that last week, so here I go again. It was April 17th, 2005, and um, the night before, we launched the church with, it was me and Jennifer and Paul and Becca and Lance and Christian and the Edwards and three of our closest friends. <laughs> now, there were more people than that, but um, we were really unsure of what was going to happen, and we were very scared. I was very nervous, and I remember thinking when we came in here to look at the place that there was a side door there in case it really tanked. I don't know if you know this or not, but I parked my car right outside that door just so we can, I can get stuff. And I just thought, if I just, you know, worst case scenario, I can run out of here and just in shame and disgust. But the night before um, we started this church, I had a dream. And I can't remember what we were doing, but we were sort of having a kickoff event for the church and we were in a parking lot and it was a big parking lot and there were these trees around the parking lot and we had we had there was like a barbecue and a, a, a pinky dinky truck which i guess is what if you're from columbus is what you call the ice cream truck i'm not from here originally but I, i've sort of become from around, from around here so the pinky is that right the pinky dinky truck it was kind of going around the parking lot and we had this crane and we were somebody was up there playing maybe paul or whatever but kids had climbed up in the trees and they were starting to fall from the trees and like break their legs it was just a disaster like rescue trucks were coming and and we had a little platform out there in the parking lot and I was preaching and I was just I wanted to get through that first service so badly that I was like disregarding the injured broken limbs of our children and I was just no that we got to do this who cares I don't care if your kid broke his ankle we're gonna finish this and and it was rather disastrous. And then a couple of weeks ago, I had a dream about our last Sunday here. And, <laughs> and, and um, it, was, it was sort of surrounding the worship team, which is wonderful, by the way. And it was sort of a battle of the bands. And, and Paul uh, was up here leading worship. And, and <laughs> there was this like these young guys that we'd never seen before that had like 
in the middle of a song were coming up to do like a hostile takeover of the stage. And the good news is, is that Paul is like the biggest, strongest, burliest, manliest worship leader I've ever seen. And so he was able to beat them down rather easily. But it was just like bizarre. What, why? Why? What's going on? And so, but no children were breaking their legs. So that seemed, Paul was breaking the legs of some other worship leader that was unidentified. But, um, but today is a, is a wonderful day. Here's my plan, is to work through some verses in Philippians. Uh, we're going to do some remembering. But uh, most of all, like hopefully has been the case of all of our five years here at the schoolhouse and will be as we pick up on the treadmill next Sunday, we want to make much of Jesus and what he has done. And so we're very grateful for that. And as we're gathered here today, uh, I think that church and life with Christ should be a strange mix of gladness and gravity. Um, in one sense, we're very, very glad that uh, what God is doing. But as you know, if you've been part of Crosspoint, there's a couple of really serious things that have gone on this past week or so. A young man that was... Various times part of Crosspoint hadn't been with us for a while, but was very close to us, and we loved him very much. And he played occasionally on our worship team. Many of you know him, was, uh, was gunned down in his house innocently by an intruder this past Tuesday. I'm sure you read about it in the papers and saw it on the news. Keith Jackson, and Friday we celebrated his life at a funeral. And so as we come to celebrate today, we're, there's a touch of gravity as well, knowing that what we're doing here it takes eternal consequence. And then last week I told you about the Scots, David and Amanda, and their baby that they found out recently has spina bifida, and they did some testing, some more, uh, more thorough testing this past week, and they did confirm. The good news is that the hole in the spinal column, I think, is a little lower, and so that's indicative of maybe um, some good, you know, some of maybe less severe, uh, but we're still not sure, and some of the chromosomal tests will come back later this week. And so as we come to celebrate and as we come to be glad in the Lord for what he's done, we're also we're mixing that with a, a, a gravity, a serious joy, maybe is how we can call it. So as we, uh, as, before I read, let me pray. And um, let's ask God to bless the Jackson family and to continue to pray for the Scots. Amanda wanted me to communicate, David and Amanda wanted me to communicate to you just how thankful they are for their church family coming around them, how many messages of encouragement they've, they've received this week. And so... And let me pray and ask God to, to lift our eyes so that we might see Jesus today. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you have been unusually kind to me specifically. I was a rebel. I was lost in sin and self-righteousness. And I was doing my own thing, pursuing my own glory. And not because of anything good in me, but because of your sovereign grace, you saw fit to snatch me from my headlong dash into hell. And in a strange twist of your grace, you saw fit to call me to this place and call this church together. And again, not because we have got any particular gifts or we are anything noteworthy, you have saw fit in these past five years to do great things among us. And so as we just sang a moment ago, we do stand amazed at how good you are 
And God, as we come to celebrate, as we come to lift up our eyes and see Jesus, we do pray for the Jackson family. We pray for you to envelop them with your love. We thank you for the certainty of his testimony and that he knew Jesus. And we come now also to, again, remember Amanda and David and to pray for this little baby girl in her mother's womb, that you would superintend that pregnancy and that, God, you would cause us to see and savor the goodness of Christ as we together steward this life. And now, God, as we read some words out of your ancient book, your inspired, completely true, life-giving book, in particular the letter of Paul to the Philippians, I pray, God, that we would come around this text and that we would revel in and take joy in as we remember and as we look forward to the great things that we believe you want to do through this tribe of people that love Jesus that we call Cross Point Church. The Lord, would you give us a strange combination of gladness and gravity today for the name and the fame of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let's do this. Usually I read and then I pray and then I work back through it, but let's, uh, let's just work through Philippians and I'll stop and comment. We're going to, I think, be in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is a book, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, just a little background, It was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people that were called the Philippians in the city of Philippi. And he planted this church earlier in Acts chapter 16 in the uh, the New Testament. Paul, in one of his early missionary journeys, went to this city of Philippi and planted this church as he engaged this lady, Lydia, who God was preparing her heart and opening the gospel to her. She opens up her home to Paul and Silas. They preach the gospel. A little church is planted in her home and begins to spread in Philippi. Because of Paul's work for the gospel and planting the church in Philippi, he gets thrown in prison, he and Silas. And while they're in prison, you can read about this in Acts 16, Paul and Silas break out their hymnal and start to sing hymns. They didn't really have a hymnal, but whatever they were singing, they sang it. They sang it well, evidently, and God broke them out of prison with an earthquake. And a jailer, the Philippian jailer, falls to the ground and says, oh, snap, you guys uh, serve the living God. What must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in Jesus. And so the Philippian church is, is sort of sprung by a prison break. And then years later, Paul gets thrown in prison again probably in Rome this time, and he is now writing back to the Philippian church that he started primarily through God miraculously breaking him out of prison, and now he's in prison again, writing back to them while he's in prison, seemingly relatively unconcerned that God is not acting the same way he did the first time, writing to them, thanking them for their partnership in the gospel, and encouraging them to look up and see Jesus and take great joy. And so... He writes these words to them. Let me begin reading in verse 1, and we'll stop along the way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I could spend uh, a long time just thinking about all of my uh, reasons to thank God for my remembrance of all of you and the the good memories. I remember the first time uh, Paul and I came in this building 
and we were just kind of looking for a building to meet in and uh, to start the church. This was in the early spring of 2005. A friend of ours told us about this building, and we came in here. We didn't really pay attention to the fact that it was kind of in the middle of nowhere with no neighborhoods around it, and we just walked in the building, and we were like, oh, this is cool. And I think we traded turns standing on the stage and looking in the back, and remember I was in the back where the soundboard is now, and Paul was up here, and I was like, yeah, dude, that, that's cool. You look good up there. Yeah, let's do it. And so I think the next day we rented uh, this building, and then uh, we realized a couple months into it that we were kind of out in the, in the country, and uh, it, you know, it was maybe not the most strategic place to plant a church, but here's the deal, uh, is that in this time, uh, I think that one of the things that I love about this place is that if you're, I mean, let's face it, friends, if you're coming here, you, you want to come to church now. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I mean, the seats are not particularly comfortable. Don't look now, but there might be a spider crawling up your leg. Actually, I think most of the, this cobwebs, but, um, but we, uh, the, so the spiders have long since died away. And it, I think the brown recluses are, are mostly active. And no, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the, if you want to come to church here, you, 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 you want to come to church. And, and in a sense, I'll miss that. And uh, I remember uh, when we first started out, it was just a few of us. And I remember Heath Edwards would dutifully get here every Sunday. I remember Heath, I don't know where you are, but you'd, you'd put that rope out. And so we would only let people sit in the front because, because you know how Christians are. They just will sit in the back. Man, no, God forbid we actually be close where people can, you know, see us. And so we'd lay that rope across about midway back to kind of make us feel like there were more people here and kind of make you sit down to the front. And uh, I remember in the first couple Sundays, uh, one time that uh, I was just frustrated, you know, I was just struggling to get things going and, and, uh, and, and I came here and the band was not quite ready, or at least what I thought how they should be. And uh, I got a little military in me and I just like things to be, I just like it to look good and I like everybody to sort of be moving with a sense of urgency. And so I had come that day and that particular day I had, I had built this frame, which if, if you know me, the words me and built in the same sentence is a scary thought. And I had built this frame and I had stretched this big canvas out in front of it because I was going to do this message about how God's love is a mosaic in our lives. And, and, you know, even with just sort of splattered paint and, you know, he does beautiful things in our life. And so I had built this thing and, and I, has, I was taking it down River Road or down Fortune Road coming and it fell off the back of my truck. And so it was all ricky to hang it together. It wasn't well built, well built in the first place. But it was just mangled and ratty, and I'm dragging in the door with my very unwell-prepared sort of prop, and I'm just frustrated at myself, and they looked unprepared, and so I'm standing there with this mangled, unprepared thing, like looking at Paul and the guys, why are you unprepared, you know, and and they're looking at me like, and you have reason to talk right now with that strange contraption that you have holding in your your hands, and... uh, and, but when I think about what the Lord has done here, I think most of all about, uh, I think most of all about life change. I think, about, uh, I think about people that came into this room and that were uh, just distant, unconnected. Maybe they thought they knew the gospel, but they didn't. Thought about, think about the faces of men whose countenance seemed to have softened as they have become part of something. Think about the baptisms 
that have taken place in this room and how people have come to know the Lord here. Speaking of baptisms, I remember the first one we did in here. Uh, we were wanting to save money here at Crosspoint in the early years. Actually, we're still wanting to do that. But um, we, Jared Yasinchok had built us, instead of going and buying a portable baptismal, which we've done now, which is much more practical, he bought, we bought this shower thing, like, you know, a shower cube that would go, it's a fiberglass kind of shell that would go in your house, and we laid it down, we, Jared did, and he built like a, a, a tank around it. You remember that baptismal pool that we used to have in here? And it weighed about 17 tons, I think. And we built it too wide for the aisles, and so we couldn't. So what we had to do, do you remember every baptism, we'd have to get about 20 men to lift that thing down here? And I remember the night before our first baptism, it was a really awesome, cool baptismal pool, but it was super heavy. And I remember the thought hit me, what is underneath this stage? Like, if we get that thing on here and it falls through, we're going to have a bill to pay. And then, so we got it here, and, and, and uh, I, I, you know, I felt better about that. But then I thought, when the water's in there, and we had planned to come up here Sunday morning to fill it up early, but then I thought, when the water, that's a lot of weight. What if we fill this thing up and it falls through like in the first baptism? And so I came up here Saturday by myself to fill up the, the pool with water, the tank with water. And so the water was in, and I'm like, oh, it didn't fall down. And I thought, but what about if a person gets in it? Will it fall in? And so... <laughs> So here's what I, I had some, I hate to put this Mitchell picture in your mind, but I had some gym shorts in my, in my truck and there was nobody in here. And I, so I, I went and got the change, put the gym like a bathing suit and I got in the baptismal pool. It's Saturday evening and I'm here by myself and I'm jumping up and down <laughs> in the thing, just trying to see if it'll hold. And one of the old guys that's kind of on the board of the schoolhouse <laughs> He came, I heard the door, there's a little bell, and I heard him come, and, and, and he's a sweet old man, but sometimes he would fuss at us about some stuff, and so he came, and I heard the door, and I'm like, oh no, I looked out the window, and it was his car in the back, and so I'm jumping out, and trying to close the curtain, and, uh, but I think about, I think about the life, the lives that have been changed in here, and the hearts that have been, have been softened and melted with the good news of Jesus. And how uh, that's eternal. The grass withers and flowers fade away and someday this building will, will fall down. And as well the building we're moving into and as well maybe the new building that we'll build someday. But, but what God does in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls is eternal. He goes on and he says in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, what I love as I think about that verse is I, I love, I guess the greatest pleasure as a pastor is to see sanctification in people's lives, to see growth for Christ, to see fruitfulness in their life and in your own life. Um, I was naively unprepared to pastor this church and to plant this church from scratch five years ago. And as I look back on my own life and uh, some of my sin and some of my shortcomings and some of my own idolatry and selfishness and defensiveness and really small-mindedness in my years here as your pastor, I am so thankful for this great promise that, that it is God who has begun a good work in me and in you and in this church. And the weight 
of this responsibility is Christ. He will bring it to completion. Of course, we need to participate and struggle and strive. And later on in Philippians, Paul says in 2 that we should, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But this great verse here, verse 6, is such a promise that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. That is, a, that is one of the most spectacular and assurance-bringing verses in the entire Bible that I'm aware of. And so I thank God for the sanctification and the growth that I've seen in your lives and in my life and that I look forward to as we continue to grow together. He continues in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And what's going on here is Paul is being locked up. He is being imprisoned for his preaching of the true gospel. And it is rattling the cage of the governmental authorities, of the Jewish authorities. And he is thanking the Philippian church for their steadfastness as they defend together and confirm the gospel. And I think about, not to make us sort of a a Philippian or Pauline example, but I think a large part of what we are doing here at this church is defending and confirming the gospel in a part of our country that is very religious, but mostly lost. There are people in, in fact, most maybe the majority of the people in our area think that they are okay with God because they have a casual relationship with the church or they're relatively moral people. And against that backdrop, I believe God is raising up churches like Crosspoint to come and be unashamed that we are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone and nothing else and only The gospel saves. And here's what I have noticed in the past five years is that when you get a hold of this true gospel, when you get a hold of this biblical view of how God saves you and you begin to preach that, it is not necessarily going to be loved and embraced by everybody. And much of what I think my ministry or our ministry as a church will be will be the hard, rugged work. I mean, if you tell people that they are sinners... And if they do not repent and believe and trust in Christ alone, that they are facing eternal separation from Him forever. And that only by not relying on yourself and your morality and by forsaking your cherished rebellion and sin and trusting in Christ through faith alone, if you tell them that, that is, as Paul writes in Corinthians, which we'll study in the coming weeks as we get into 1 Corinthians, it is offensive And my number one spiritual battle is that I just want to be liked. I want people to like me. And I started this church, I think, much, and this is God's grace in spite of this, I started this church much on kind of an ego trip because I just wanted satisfaction and affirmation. But when you dig your teeth into the sacred words of this text and believe to understand the gravity and the seriousness of the gospel and the reality of heaven and hell and eternity and the necessity of Christ, it will compel you to be clear and to be offensive and to defend and to contend, as Jude says, 
for the faith that was once and for all handed down from the saints to us. We are preaching Christ, not better living, not cool techno stuff, not more successful leadership techniques, not raising your kids in a better way, not four steps to marriage improvement. All those things can be helpful, but we are preaching Christ and Christ alone. And this church, as we leave this place and move deeper into a bigger population of people who that will offend, must reason now to say we're going to defend and to, we're going to confirm this gospel because it is true. And I, I just am more aware of that than I've ever been before. I am more aware of that than I have ever been before that uh, these, these next years ahead are not just going to be us showing up, rolling out a microphone and having a, a, a comfortable seat and, you know, uh, you know, just having fun, passing out snow cones. We're in for a spiritual battle as we defend and confirm the gospel. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I, how I, <laughs> how I yearn for you. With all the affection of Christ Jesus. I can remember I was a sophomore at uh, in college. Actually, I didn't go to college. I went to West Point. And it was just a strange institutional indoctrination. It was, we took classes, but it wasn't college. I was a sophomore at the military academy, and I felt like God was calling me into ministry um, because I had discovered a few Bible verses that I wanted to beat people over the head with. That was <laughs> the origin of my call. And I remember... Um, Going to my pastor at the time, who was uh, he was in his mid thirties. He seemed very old and wise to me at the time, and he had planted this church. <laughs> and he had planted this church, and I said, Pastor Randy, uh, I I feel like God is calling me into the ministry someday. And I said, but I was honest enough, and I think uh, uh, I knew myself well enough. And I said, Pastor Randy, I think I love the Bible, and I think I love the Lord, but I don't know that I really love people, and I I don't know that um. I don't know that I have the love that I just saw this man just pour out his life. I, I saw him uh, yearn with affection for me. I remember one particular time that um, I was drifting from the Lord and falling into some sin, and he confronted me. We would go over to his house every day for lunch after church. He would have about 50 cadets over to his house, and his wife was Italian, which, which endeared them to me, and, he, and she would cook this pasta and we would eat and I remember one day right before we were about to leave and go back to to campus he called me into his office and he confronted me with my sin and, and he just yearned with affection for me and I remember telling him I said Pastor Randy I feel like I'm being called in ministry but I don't I don't have the love that you have for people and I just remember him looking at me and him saying you know if God has called you uh, he he will give you a love for people he he will give you an affection for people. And I guess these five years is just just going to love for you. And I, look, this is in the end. I don't know why I'm breaking up like this, but but um, I guess 
you know, it's not about this building and it's not about more comfortable seats and it's not about a large church. It's about lives. It's about walking through tragedy with people. It's about seeing people. It's about seeing people's marriages improve and see people come to the Lord and see children grow up with a testimony that they never knew anything but Jesus. And, and friends, there's something so special about yearning together as a family of God for that. Look, this church is not perfect. We've got so many issues. I have failed so many people in this room as a pastor and as a leader. And you may have been failed before by a pastor or a church, maybe even by me, but you have never really, like you've been hurt in the past, and maybe that's why you're here, but you're sort of on the fringe of church because God forbid you be hurt again. And now your life, your functional idol is, is that you are keeping the church and church community at an arm's length because you can't be hurt again. Friends, I understand the pain, but I'm going to tell you right now that it's no way to live. There is something beautiful about doing life together where we sin against one another, where we forgive one another, where we display the gospel for one another and towards one another, and where we, we yearn for affection for one another in Christ Jesus. And do you know what this is, friends? You know what that is? That's just not community. That's evangelism. Because when the body of Christ lives together in this rugged, raw way where they put their hearts on the table and they let one another see it beat, it becomes an aroma of Christ to a world that is lost, that is looking for community in all sorts of ways. And when they see that by the power of the Holy Spirit, those whom God intends to save are drawn to it and they can't resist it, friends. And you, let me tell you, whether it's here or somewhere else, you need that. You need that. You need to, You need the gospel and you need to respond to it. And you need the community and the affection and the love of the people of God as we run up against one another and link arms to do life for Jesus. And I, I am so thankful that this church, and that this church is is a church that yearns for one another with affection. And I close with these last few verses. And it is my prayer, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Paul's prayer for the Philippians was even in their excellence and even in their great witness of the gospel, that they would continue, that they would increase, that they would even get more wise, that they would, that they would, that they would be more able to see what is true and of God and that they would be more pure and God would continue his work in them. And then this would create more fruit of righteousness in their life. And friends, that is, that is my prayer for us, that we would continue to grow in love and knowledge and discernment, that we would continue to grow in sanctification, and that ultimately God, what God would do through us is that he would cause much fruit to, to grow, to be born of the witness of Cross Point Church. There are people right now 
that before time began, God called out their name. And there are people that in the coming months and years will be more likely to walk in the Cross Point Church. And they are people that God has sovereignly designed to use the means of a rugged, mixed up group of people called Cross Point Church who are very much in process, who are wrestling with their own sin and their own salvation, working at that out before the Lord. God has intended to use the means of this church for the bearing of fruit, for the increase of the kingdom, for lives that will come to know Jesus. Friends, I honestly, whether you are a preacher or a banker or a housewife or a school teacher or a construction worker or a salesman, I cannot think of anything more glorious to give your lives to than to wrap arms with a community of people and say, God, we are going to run together for the cause of the gospel so that Jesus might be glorified, so that we together might bear much fruit. What else is there to do than that? Which brings me to my conclusion, friends, this, this is the gospel. Every person in this room, whether we are from the deep south where there is a good church on every corner, or whether we are born in a Middle East country into a religion that forsakes the one true God, or whether we're somewhere in between, every person in this room is born in sin by nature and by choice, separated from God. The Bible is very clear on this, that the consequences of our rebellion is death, spiritual death, separation from God forever. But in His kindness, God, not brushing over rebellion, but in His kindness, God has poured out His wrath on Jesus who lived the life that you and I should have lived. He, he lived a perfect life. God, in the flesh, came and lived and was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And he willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice, an atonement for us on the cross. And the Bible says that God poured out his wrath on Jesus so that whoever would repent and believe and trust in Jesus will be born again. All of us have rebelled, whether it's in self-righteousness or whether it's in wanton sin. And all of us are going to be, have to give a reckoning of our lives. And most of the world is going to stand before the creator of all things one day and try and account for their rebellion with some good works. The Bible is clear that the only thing that will allow us to stand before God someday is the shed blood of the God-man himself, Jesus. And those, and only those, that repent and believe in him. And so... Right now, if you're hearing my voice and you've never done that, that's what you must do right now. You must do that. Repent and believe, which is to turn from self-righteousness, turn from trust in yourself, turn from sin, and to trust in Jesus. And the Bible says that when you do that, you become a Christian. And even the faith, you may say, I don't have the faith. I couldn't do that. 
Even the faith that you have right now, if you're hearing my words, even the faith that you exercise is given to you by God, and I believe is evidence that God right now is saving you. So trust, turn, trust in Him. Trust in Jesus. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to repeat a prayer. This is what the Bible says, how you become a Christian. Repent and believe. Right now, repent and believe. Turn from self-trust. Turn from coddling, cherished sins, and trust in Jesus. And believe that your only hope is what Jesus did for you as a sacrifice on the cross. And that, friends, the gospel. You must do that today if you haven't. Well, hopefully that's been our message for the past five years. And if you show around for the next five, that will suspiciously enough be our message for the next five years. <laughs> the guys are going to come back and we're going to spend some time celebrating Jesus with a few songs of response. You've never trusted in Jesus. Now is the time. Now is the time. You repent and believe. Turn and trust. You want to talk to somebody about that? Me and Reynolds and a couple other folks will be down here. You can come down and, 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 and pray with us if that will help you. You don't need that as a requirement of your salvation. It's helpful for some people to, to kind of work through that or ask questions. You want to receive communion and you are a Christian and you're already a believer in Jesus that is open for you to come. The bread represents Jesus' broken body. And the juice represents his spilled blood on the cross. And if you want to come and examine and remember and just worship God through receiving communion, and you are a believer in Jesus, that is open for you to do. And for the rest of us, we're just going to spend a couple moments here with a few songs worshiping God for what he has done in this place. And then Don McKelvey is going to come and close us out. And then don't leave now. Don't leave. <laughs> we're going to clean this joint up. And uh, we're going to... We're going to say goodbye to the old Mountain Hill Schoolhouse as we wave at it in our rearview mirrors and we're going to caravan to the new church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you for your partnership in the gospel. I am sure that he who has begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I yearn for you with... <laughs> the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray that our love would abound more and more, and that we would increase in love and knowledge, and that we would discern what is excellent, and that we as a church might be filled with the fruit of righteousness, so that what would be exalted is not the name of Crosspoint Church, but what would be exalted is the glorious name of Christ alone. Great things He has in store for us, friends. Great things He has done. So as we, as we come around this, this last Sunday, Lord, I thank You. I thank You for what You have done in this room. Lord, it might be Your will to see another church use this place in the coming months or years. I don't know. God, I pray that You would... That You would bless this building, that you would bless the people that have been so generous to us. I pray for Miss Zahn Amerson, who used to open up the building for us so faithfully. And then Mr. Zachary, thank you for those faithful friends. Lord, I pray that what has gone on in this place, that Lord, it wouldn't just be like water off of our back, but that it would stick fast. That it 
the things that you have done in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. God, we would mark this as a time when we remember that in this place, at that time, God got a hold of my heart and the gospel penetrated my hardness and my callousness or Jesus caused me to see him more clearly at this place. And God, not because we're particularly sentimental about a place or a thing, but just because we remember what you have done here, God, we thank you for the old Mountain Hill schoolhouse. We thank you for the corner of Mountain Hill Road and River Road. And we thank you for the great things that you have done here. And now, God, we lift up our eyes and we see Jesus who is calling us continually to make much of him. We thank you for how good you have been. And we now give you thanks for what you have done and what you will do in us in the days ahead. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.